Uh, we get pretty offended easily um, in this day and age. It's not very far or, or, or very far from anything we ever look at that we see someone offended by something talking about it. These are usually the people who are loudest on social media, right? I found this meme that kind of just conquers it all. Oh, you must be new here. <laughs> <laughs> like, people get offended by everything, right? And so we talk about offense. And, and you, if you're on the internet, you see all this all the, all the time. But, okay, so I want you to think about yourself. What do you get offended by? What's something that, like, peeves you? What's something that kind of, like, irritates you? Think about those things for a second. I thought of some really simple examples. Okay, so the first one is you're on this snap streak with your pal, right? And you are just, like, crushing it. And you spend the better part of 30 minutes coloring this snap that you just cannot wait to send, and then you like pin your bitmoji to it, but then you have to watch it rewind, and then you see it's in the wrong place, and then you accidentally touch it, and then it's not pinned anymore. So here you are at 30 minutes, you've used half your battery life to send this. You send it, you forget to save it, you'll never see it again. And you get it to their end, and they open it, and they don't reply. How dare you? How dare you, Josh Sykes, to me? How dare you? How dare you? Next one. I think, okay, so if you're like me, if you're a words of affirmation person, you leave social situations and you think, I had one more thing to say to that person. Or, I really want them to know how I, how I really feel about them. I really appreciate this. So you go. That was a delete. Thank you. I practiced today. Oh, they read it. Must just be reading it. No bubble. Maybe, maybe they're really busy. I don't know. You check an hour later. How dare you, Josh Sykes? <laughs> How dare you? I poured my heart out to you. And then I wake up to a text in the morning that says, cool. <laughs> or, or isn't this the worst? You just, just pour your heart out. Okay. Oh, oh, absolutely the worst. Okay, what about a little more, a little more your daily life? Okay, what about when teachers assign homework on the night you have activities? Oh, it's as if they enjoy doing their job and they're helping you do something rather than babysitting your bad time management skills. <laughs> Shots fired. Oh, okay, but here's the deal. I can defuse this right now. Homework's going to be a part of school. It has been and it always will be. However, teachers that assign homework over spring break and Christmas break, and fall break, I, I have some formulated opinions about such a thing. And I actually wrote a sermon for them. I'll give it to you real quick. It's called, Just Don't, okay? <laughs> so that's, that's that, okay? But we get offended by things. And maybe you felt a little offended, like, oh, yeah, I really do have a lot of activities, and I really am good at, at managing my time, all that stuff. Okay, so I've channeled your offendedness. That's cool. My goal is not to offend you tonight. But that's what we're going to talk about is that feeling, Okay. And with a, being offended, there had to be some sort of conflict either on either side of it. There's going to be conflict before and after that. And conflict can be internal, but it's mostly, mostly external. It's mostly two factions fighting each other and butting heads, right? And conflict in itself is kind of like the opposite 
of how to build up community. Unhealthy conflict actually destroys relationships and destroys community, right? And so how do we go about this conflict and being offended, but how do we fix that? How do we move through and move towards healthy relationships outside of conflicts? Because if you haven't had a conflict yet, I don't know if you live on planet Earth, and you're going to have conflict. How are we going to mend that community? How are we going to mend those things? Jesus shows us this path of, hey, tonight's going to be very, very practical. If you're a note taker, I literally did the work so you could have some tangible notes tonight to know how to get out of a mess. And Jesus actually walks us through that and says, hey, here's how you do this. It's very tangible. So when we think about reconciling, making these relationships better and working on them, Jesus leads us in that 100%. Jesus shows us how to reconcile our relationships. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight and how we can do that. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to get rolling. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for these students. And uh, I know that we all have conflict in our lives. I know I have conflict in mine. I know they have conflict in theirs. And I want to pray for that. I want to pray for the relationships that have fallen out, um, for the broken relationships with parents or friends or brothers or sisters tonight that we kind of view those relationships as something valuable and we kind of pay attention to what we can do to help those relationships. So in Jesus' name, everybody said, I'm going to teach you kind of a churchy word tonight. It's called reconciliation. Say it, three, two, one, reconciliation. Very good. Here's the definition. Reconciliation. It's a noun. The restoration of friendly relations, okay? It's the the making of harmony between two once-in-conflict people, persons, or parties, okay? So let's imagine it like military. So there's these two sides that are fighting this battle, and at some point, there's a ceasefire. At some point, fighting stops, and one side sends over a representative to try to reconcile the conflict, and they walk across the battlefield. They go behind enemy lines, And they bring this terms of reconciliation. They say, hey, we want to fix this relationship. Here are the terms. Okay. So how does that apply to your spiritual life? Whether we want to admit it or not, our sin has made us enemies of God. It says this in Scripture. That we are at war with God. And God didn't start this war. We did. And we throw punches and we point fingers and we bring it to his doorstep. And we don't realize that the ultimate lie is that Satan's the one tricking you, tempting you, and throwing punches. It's not God. And I know that because God's the one that sent the messenger. God's the one that sent someone to heal and reconcile the situation. He's the one that stepped out from behind enemy lines, and that was Jesus. Jesus stepped out from his, from his domain and went across enemy lines into our world, into earth, into our situation, and he brought these terms of reconciliation. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, and if you, if you agree to these terms, there's been reconciliation, there's been healing, there's been harmonizing, there's been fixing of a relationship. That person was Jesus. So how does that apply to your life? Okay, have you ever had a conflict? Shake your head. Yeah, yeah, we've all been in conflict. That's a part of the human experience. There's no human on this earth that isn't going to have some sort of conflict in life. And that's why I wanted to focus on the tangible, practical stuff tonight, is that we're all going to go through this at some point. It's good to know how to deal with it, and it's good to know how to reconcile relationships and restore friendships. 
And Jesus himself knows how complicated this is. Like, he wasn't confused about who he was, but he also understands and is very familiar with the struggles of human nature, the complexities of relationships, the struggles and arguments and disagreements and fights. The very, in fact, the very act of him saving your soul was all of conflict and reconciliation. Yeah, between the people who killed him, between you, but also between you and God was reconciliation. And there was also the conflict of evil that was defeated in that moment. There was reconciliation. I want you to see tonight that the ultimate reconciliation, the ultimate healing of relationships happens through Jesus and the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. We just talked about that all Easter season. That's where reconciliation stems from. So you need it. Some point you're going to have conflict, so you're going to need to know how to mend relationships and how to mend and get back to healthy community and healthy relationships. So I want you to think, just to kind of put this into a personal light, uh, make it personal, think for the next few seconds on a relationship specifically in your life that needs reconciliation. Let's think about that for a second. It needs to be harmonized. It needs to be healed. Okay? It could be family. It could be a falling out you had with a friend. It could be a brother or a sister. So we don't need to go much farther to show you that you need some sort of reconciliation in your life. This is a need that you have. So how do we do it? Because it's, it's so important because until you reconcile those relationships... You're a slave to that conflict. You're a slave to that conflict. And what do I mean? Your thoughts, your emotions, your actions. I'll prove it. Have you ever walked down another hallway to avoid someone in the other hallway? Yeah. Yeah. It owns you. Have you ever been in the situation where you had this falling out with a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and you're in the same room, but you're acting like you won't pay attention to each other, but you're trying to get as much attention as you can while you're looking over and seeing if they're looking at you? You know you do it. You know you do it. Or when you lay in bed at night and you think about that conflict that you have in your life that makes you cringe, that makes you miserable, that you know needs to be healed at some point, but you have no idea how to go about that. You're a slave to those things. And I think about my life. Okay, so I had this situation. Anybody, like, anybody that likes to make jokes and make people laugh and have like, funny moments knows that sometimes those funny moments don't work out as planned. And I had this moment where I was like, oh man, I'm going to do this thing to this person and everyone's going to laugh and it's going to be awesome. And I did that thing and nobody laughed and I humiliated this person in front of everybody. And it was three years later, I had not stopped thinking about that moment. I was a slave to it. I would think about it once in a while, and it would make me cringe and make my heart hurt. And my soul was on fire, and I was just like, man, that's not right. And I finally got this opportunity like a year and a half ago to go up to this person and go, hey, you remember that one time I like humiliated you in front of all those people? And the person goes, no, I don't. No, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I go, I do, like, I, I think about it all the time. And it was awkward. It was really, it was really awkward, and it, and it was really hard. But I go, I'm really sorry about that, and I really need you to forgive me. And the person was like, yeah, sure, dude, no problem. Whew. Finally, I was free from that conflict. Reconciliation happened. 
And was that awkward moment worth it? Yes, absolutely. Because, yeah, I still cringe when I think about it. But when I think about it, I go, I'm forgiven. I did my responsibility in that situation. And I reconciled that friendship. It was really hard. And it took a lot of maturity. But it was so worth it. So I'm going to move into how you approach reconciliation. And I want you to see, like I said, that the cross is all about reconciliation. And what I want you to focus on in this next part is how during the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, he took on your sin, okay? And that's the only reason you get to walk in freedom and forgiveness, that he paid the price for you. So I want you to think about how much forgiveness was poured out into your life that you didn't deserve, that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn it. You didn't earn that grace, but you got it, okay? And in that moment, your relationship with God was restored. You were restored and reconciled to God. I want you to see that as we move forward. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to two things in these passages in Matthew 18 that are destructive. They're, they're things that have conflict, that are destructive, that are ruining community, but Jesus shows us how to get through them, okay? This is very practical, And the first one I want to show you is someone who you might have a falling out with or a conflict with that might be in this room, that understands the grace of God, that understands that Jesus loves them, that that understands and knows God. You treat them differently than someone who doesn't know God because that grace looks like you have to amplify and amplify and amplify. But you approach a brother and sister in Christ a little differently. And this is what it says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. Stop there. You pull that person aside. Why? Like I did with that person. I'm not saying I do everything right, but this was a win for me, okay? I pulled that person aside and I had this conversation. Why? Why was it this one-on-one? Because it didn't create more drama. I wasn't in it to get more gossip out of it. I wasn't in it to destroy people. You shouldn't be in it to destroy more people. You should pull that person aside and say, hey, this is what's hurting me. Like, can you forgive me? Or I need to forgive you because you've hurt me really bad. And I know I need to show you grace. But I don't want to go on in this conflict. Okay, does that make sense? So moving forward, that works sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. And if that doesn't work, he said, if he won't listen... Take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest. Try again. This would be peers in your small group. It's not your best buddy and like your hype man that's going to throw mud at this guy while you're talking to him or whatever, or this girl. You're going to find someone who's in your peer group that cares about both of you but has no skin in the game. And you're going to pull them aside and say, hey, I want you to just like facilitate this with me. I need to forgive you because I am hurt by something you did. And you work it out that way. A group of three, and you try to work it out. Sometimes that works, and it works really great. Sometimes it doesn't. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, stop there. The church in our situation, element, that would be a small group leader. That would be your small group. You would say, hey, small group leader, insert name. Could you step into this conversation? I want to resolve and, and reconcile this conflict, but I don't know how to drive this conversation. I don't know how to steer this, and I need your help. You pull that adult leader in, and you work it out. Because guess what? After that, you're set free from that conflict, and it's done. But sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. And he says, if that doesn't work, you'll start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer, again, God's forgiveness and love, saying that you need to approach this person as if they don't know God. 
that they don't understand grace, that they don't understand forgiveness, that they're not living following Jesus. And that takes a whole different type of forgiveness because you would expect something from a fellow believer, but you don't expect that same thing from someone who doesn't know the truth and grace of Jesus, right? So you kind of have to start over. You treat that person differently, but you still love them. That's important. You don't cast them out and say, get out of here. Don't ever talk to me. You still love them and you bring them into your world, okay? But you treat them differently. So that's the reconciliation with someone who you know knows you, knows God, and you want to end that conflict. It's healthy. It's good for you. The next one I want to show you is conflict between someone who you know doesn't know the hope and truth of God. This might be someone in your school. This might be someone in this room. This might be someone in your family. Okay? You're called as a believer to forgive like no one else on this earth. You are called to forgive and forgive and forgive. And it says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, hey, Lord, like how many times do I got to forgive him? Like seven? <laughs> I like I said, uh, what's your account number? Uh, seven. Name that movie. Sandlot. Unbelievable. Sandlot. No, Little Rascals. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Whew. Some people were like, we got some conflict here. <laughs> yeah, okay. Whew. Whew, okay, I'm glad we worked through that. We've reconciled. That was a good example. That wasn't even planned. I like Jesus' answer. They're like, I'll tell you, like, not even like seven, but like seven times seven. Seven to seven times. I don't know, a bunch of times. And he said, let me, let me illustrate. Let me tell you a story to kind of show you what I'm talking about. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, in this day and age, that's 20 years of a daily wage. This man was probably never going to be able to pay this person back. Was brought to him since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, sold into slavery. Think about the slavery of being in conflict. You're a slave to that thing. It's something you cannot pay. It's something that you have not fixed. You're a slave to that thing. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me. He begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled his debt, and let him go. That's Jesus with you. Jesus went, I know you can't pay this price, so I'm going to allow myself to be crucified so that I take your sin and pay the price that you can never pay. And I'm going to let you go. That's grace. That's mercy. That's humility. That's, that's Jesus loving you and letting you free. So imagine yourself in this situation with that metaphor and what happens next. At this, the servant, oh, oh, excuse me. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. This is someone who you need to forgive or someone who needs forgiveness from you, right? He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This is you leaving the cross, getting the most grace and forgiveness you will ever receive in your life, turning around and go, I can't forgive you, I won't forget. I will judge you and I will hold a grudge against you forever. It's like, that is ugly. Do you see how ugly that is? His fellow servant fell to his knees and began to beg him. He's like, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he sent him off. And had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant. That was an ugly thing you did. He said, I cancel all your debts. 
of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's Jesus saying, shouldn't you be able to forgive if I could forgive you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. And this is how, this is Jesus talking, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sisters from your heart. Okay, so this reconciliation thing is serious. It's a serious thing. And this is how you deal with people who might not know the love and grace of Jesus. You've got to show them the grace that you were given. And you've got to show them the forgiveness you were given. Seventy times, seventy times, seven, seven, seventy times, you've got to forgive them. And you've got to work through that. Do you see that? This is a story of all the mercy that you've been shown that now needs to be shown to someone else. Reconciliation happens from your soul, not from a social scoreboard. So looking through this, we're going to land the plane here. I have some very practical things for you. I was doing some research, and I stumbled across this stuff, that they pulled out three examples of this destructive human behavior and sin that creates conflict and destroys your world, okay? But they also pulled out three truths from these teachings of Jesus of how to solve those things the antidote of those issues. So the first thing I'm going to show you is a social problem. And the social problem is caused by sin. It's caused by human nature. And it's not a good thing. It's destroying community. It's destroying relationships. The first example is competition. And it's not sports. It's not achievement. It's not like PR. It's not like personal records. It's, it's the idea of, have you ever done this? Hey, what'd you get on your test? And the only reason you did that was to prove that you were better than someone else because you were insecure. Hey, what'd you get on your test? Or, she's pretty. I'm going to out-pretty her. <laughs> or, or, he's loud and obnoxious and he's getting all the attention. I'm going to be louder and obnoxiouser. Competition. But it's all selfish. It's not a good competition. It's a bad competition. Do you see how that destroys relationships? But the antidote to that is humility. And this isn't the humility of like beat yourself up and be Eeyore all day. That, that undermines you. That undermines your worth and your value and how you were uniquely created by God, okay? I'm talking humility like looking at the person or the people in the room and saying they are just as unworthy of God's grace as I am, but I get it so they get it. And we're all in the same boat. That humility is saying, I'm not too cool for that person. Or saying, I don't have to compete for the love and the grace and the seat at the table for Jesus. Like, we're all in the same boat. And we can stop competing against each other and actually start serving each other, if that makes sense. The next problem that is pointed out that is caused by this sin is a social problem of independence. And I'm not talking about being able to take care of yourself or take care of your own business. I think that's very healthy. I'm talking about the unhealthy version of independence where you say, I'm me and I don't need anyone and I don't want you relying on me and I don't want to see your face. This is all about me and it's all it's ever going to be about. That's unhealthy independence. And you think that you're like avoiding all this uh, influence and this power. You're like, oh man, yeah. But what you're doing is you're nailing the last nails into the wall that separates you from the world. And all of a sudden, you're super lonely, and you're super miserable. It's this independence that is looking at other people and saying, you can't count on me because I don't care about you. 
But the antidote to this is accountability. And I'm not talking being babysat or, or having a slap on the wrist every time you do something bad. I'm talking about accountability to where you have people in your life that know you and can be real with you. And you have people in your life that know that they can be real with you. Accountability means you can be accountable to someone else. That they can turn to you and say, I count on you. That's the remedy to the independence. And the last one, the last social issue that's brought up in these stories that's remedied through what Jesus teaches us is revenge. And this one's really ugly. And I'm not just talking like anger and hate and grudge and everything. I'm talking about the mentality of I'm going to hurt this person like they hurt me. Or I'm not going to get mad, I'm going to get even. Or I'm going to humiliate and I'm going to manipulate and I'm going to destroy that person's life. It's very ugly. And I know I've been there. You think in these situations you're dominating them, but in reality they're still dominating you because you're a slave to the conflict. They have your thoughts, they have your emotions, they have your actions. You think you're dominating, but you're not. You're not at all. You are a slave to that person and your hunger for revenge. Think of how many stories we've heard where revenge has finally, finally come true and the emptiness is the same as it was in the beginning as it is in the end. How many movies have you seen where the supervillain gets the revenge he plotted and then he's still empty inside? It doesn't solve anything. So Jesus shows us the antidote, and that's mercy. And I'm not saying like, oh, just, we'll just forget about it and we'll move on. I'll just pretend like it didn't happen. No, because you're not dealing with it then. I'm talking, I know that I'm no better than you in the eyes of God. And that if God can forgive someone like me, he can forgive someone like you. And I know I've hurt a lot of people. So I understand. I understand what you're going through. That's mercy. That's working through that situation. And the world isn't going to understand this mercy. I'll just tell you straight up. They're going to say, you're crazy. I don't get it. But that is the reaction of the forgiveness and grace that only Jesus gives. That's his spirit working in your life for sure. We need to stop focusing on what others have done to us and start focusing on what Jesus has done for us. We need to stop focusing on what others have done to us and start focusing on what Jesus has done for us. And all that ugly anger becomes reconciling love. I'm going to read this last scripture, and this is how we're going to close tonight. It's from 2 Corinthians 5. It's God talking about, hey, since we've been reconciled, you need to go reconcile relationships. That's, that's a mission of yours. You need to go do this. And if you have some work to do, you need to make some moves to do that thing. Okay. It says, all this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Because God has reconciled the relationship with you, you need to reconcile the relationships you have with other people that need to be reconciled. And Jesus shows us how we can do that, step by step. Mm -hmm.
I can tell you all these things, but from experience, God is in the business of fixing broken things. And God is in the business of fixing broken people. And he's committed to relationships and he's committed to community and it is a high priority for him. And if you're sitting there tonight thinking of that relationship that seems like a mountain before you, I want to encourage you not to take that alone. I want to encourage you not to try to climb that by yourself. Reconcile yourself to God. Let God reconcile that relationship that he has with you. He's in the business of fixing broken people and broken relationships. Because only after you are reconciled with God can you joyfully reconcile relationships with other people. And I hope you hear that idea. You can go ahead and be seated. I hope you hear that idea in this story tonight. Hi, my name is Ellie. Um, I would put my hope in the world um, and everybody's thoughts about me and I would change myself to be who they were and I'd kind of put my hope in social media and just that world. I, it, it made me stray away from God and the happiness that was brought with it and it just brought me to a place where I felt like I, I couldn't really ever be myself in any position or any place and it, everything just was a lot darker. It put labels over my head of people who or things that I didn't want to be and people who I never really tried to be. And it, it all just kind of attacked me and made me feel like I was alone and not really loved. I, I isolated myself. I locked myself in my room and hid away from the world. I strayed away from all my friends and my family and I was just this person who I didn't really know anymore. It's just sad, empty. There's every bad emotion. I started putting more of that same hope on to try to build it up and make it seem like if I just add more, then it'll be okay for a little while. And in that little while, then I'll be fine. And then it'll just be over soon. And I tried to take away the pain by adding more pain. All of it was false and none of it was actually true to the hope that God can bring. Just sitting in my room and looking back at everything that's been happening the past couple of months and years and seeing how I've just been treating life and everything that could have happened, it, it just struck me and it made me realize that the only hope that I can find is in God and His will and His way and that if I'm not following that, then I can never really truly be happy. It's made me a lot happier. It's, it's just brought joy to my life, and I can smile and just goof around with my friends a lot more. I can be the Ellie that I was when I was five. I'm me, I'm Ellie, I'm who God created, and nobody's gonna be able to change that, not the world, not anybody. After isolating myself for so long and putting myself in this part where I wouldn't talk to anybody or spill out my emotions or just like get help. 
um, I started talking to people and I started realizing that when they were with Christ, they become so much happier and through all this false hope, that's what I really wanted. And just talking to my friends and my family and just being with these people who had hope that wasn't false, it just, it brought a new light to my eyes and made everything a lot better. Now is not gonna last forever and you can't keep dwelling on the pain and everything that's come with it. You have to focus on the future. You have to, you can't look in the rearview mirror because if you look in the rearview mirror while you're driving, you're just gonna crash. So you have to look forward and you just have to put your hope in something real, not something false. Be yourself because God accepts you and he loves you. He made you to be who you are. You have to embrace that.